passport photo. Amateur Traveler, episode 151. Today, the Amateur Traveler goes to the Outer Banks in the Carolinas. Learn about this out-of-the-way destination that's perfect to get lost in, and the first settlers who managed to do just that, today on the Amateur Traveler. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Before we get into today's interview, I do have three news stories for you. In the first story, with the prediction that airlines will lose $5.2 billion in 2008, we're seeing some radical changes to try and save some weight. The most recent one was Air Canada's regional carrier Jazz is removing life vests from its planes to save weight and fuel. According to a spokesperson, regulations in Canada allow airlines to use flotation devices instead of life vests, provided the planes remain within 50 miles of shore. So... How far can you swim? According to an article in USA Today, Delta subsidiary Comair flew the eight most chronically delayed flights in July, including three that arrived late every time they flew. Overall, 19 of the nation's 30 most chronically delayed flights flew under the Delta logo. Ouch. Though all of the offending flights were operated by Delta's regional affiliates and not by Delta itself. The worst performer was Comair Flight 5292 from Minneapolis-St. Paul to New York City, which arrived late 31 times it flew in July. That's really not fair. Do you know how long it takes to say goodbye in Minnesota? In the last news story, for less than the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee, you can buy a villa in Sicily. In a picturesque hilltop town of Salemi, in western Sicily, the mayor is selling old stone villas in the historic town center for one euro each. The catch, they were damaged in the 1968 earthquake, and they've stood unoccupied and deteriorating for 40 years. You have two years to fix up the villa, and you have to do it with local materials and local builders, architects, decorators, plumbers, etc. But people are buying them up, so if you're interested, check out that story as well as the others in the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com. I'd like to welcome the show Mary White from bnbfinder.com, who's come to talk to us about the Outer Banks. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. So as we start talking about the Outer Banks, first of all, where are the Outer Banks and why would someone go there? Well, the Outer Banks are on the East Coast. It's a very thin strip of land off the coast of North Carolina. It actually runs kind of from the tip of Virginia down along the coast of North Carolina. I believe the Outer Banks is just about a quarter mile thick in most locations. So what's really neat and interesting about the Outer Banks is that with just a short walk and definitely a very short drive, you can be on the sound side or you can be on the ocean side. And because of that, you can have two almost different experiences just at one end of the block to the other. On the sound side, you're going to have calm water, have a different type of vegetation, you're going to have a different type of animal life, as opposed to the ocean side, which is what everyone would come to know, the ocean with the seagulls and things like that. 
So in staying at the Outer Banks, sometimes people will spend, maybe they're staying on the Sound, but they'll certainly either hop in their car, hop on their bikes. It's very easy. There's a lot of bike paths on the Outer Banks or just walk across. It's not that long of a walk to walk over to the beach and vice versa. If you are staying in a beachfront property, oftentimes dinner will be on the Sound and the beautiful sunsets and things that go on. I mean, a lot of the water sports and the water activities are on the Sound. So it's kind of, if you can picture it, it's really neat. You're getting two things in one, and it's so close together. Now, as we start talking about the Outer Banks, I haven't been there before. But my mental picture is that I would go there when I'm looking for a relaxing vacation, a little bit of a slower pace. Do I have the correct picture? I think you have somewhat of a correct picture, although you certainly can go to the Outer Banks and you can be very active. The nice thing about the Outer Banks, although it's not as big of a secret as it used to be, but it's known for the beaches are much quieter. If you're used to other public beaches, let's say in other parts of the East Coast, the Jersey Shore, for instance, <laughs> which are, I'm, I'm not sure where you know where you've been, but those are extremely crowded beaches. Right. That's not at all what you're going to find on the Outer Banks. The people that are using the beaches on the Outer Banks, they're pretty much private beaches, although many of them do have lifeguards, but that's because the local communities have gotten together and provided the lifeguard. But it's almost like your beach is your backyard, and you're sharing your beach, your backyard, with just the people who are in your neighborhood. So, yes, it is slower. On the other hand, there's lots to do. You want to go off-roading because it's not really crowded? You can do that. If you want to be fishing, you can do everything from deep-sea charters to especially in the evening when the beaches are even less crowded. You can be fishing on the beach. You can be biking. It's beautiful to run on the beach. But there's also a lot to see in terms of history as well as just kind of poking around a different part of town because most people don't live in an area like the Outer Banks. So, yes, if you're looking for a place and you just want to sit quietly on the ocean and not be bothered by a lot of people and read a book, you're going to be able to do that there. On the other hand, if you want to keep busy because the idea of sitting down would just drive you crazy, you're not going to have a problem there either. Now, you talked about lots of places to see and lots of history, and I can think of one. I can think of two brothers from Ohio who happened to be bike makers originally. What is there to see in the Outer Banks when you talk about history? Well, you're obviously referring to the Wright Brothers Memorial, and the Outer Banks is credited for being home of the first flight. So that is now a national park. It's done quite well as most national park things are done. It's very interesting. You can just do a precursory look and you get the idea, get the feeling you've been there, or you can delve a lot deeper if you're more that type of a person when you visit a national park and, and things into history. The other thing is is that Roanoke Island, which is okay. mm -hmm. in the lower part when you go down into the Outer Banks, there's a lot of history there. A really neat thing to do, which has been, I don't know, I, they might be in their 2050 or maybe even longer, it's an outdoor theater. It's called The Lost Colony. And it is the story of Sir Walter Raleigh coming over to establish the new land. It's a complete outdoor theater. If you're used to Broadway and lots of the glitz and the glamour, it's a real appreciation because it kind of the, taking away some of the glitz and the glamour and having the outdoor theater, having the theater going on kind of around you underneath the stars in the evening, you really can put yourself in the place of early settlers. And if, if you do visit the Outer Banks, whether you're a history buff or not, 
I would definitely recommend getting tickets to see The Lost Colony, the outdoor production, which is down towards Roanoke Island. And we certainly have some listeners who may not be familiar with that story because we have international listeners. So Roanoke would be the first colony that was founded in what is now the United States. But then when they came back, what, a year or two later, there was almost no evidence that the colony had been there. Exactly, exactly. It takes you through the story, and then even, I believe, when it ends, I haven't seen it in a couple of years now, although I've seen it many times, I believe there's no one there when it comes back. That is part of the story. But there are many efforts to keep England's interests alive in making the colony survive, and shows you a lot. Reenactment of history, mm-hmm. you know, firsthand as to what colonists went through during that period, in terms of also who they met as who was already here in terms right, sure. of Native Americans. And that's all part of the story because it's part of history. And I think they've done a nice job to take history, but also make it entertaining. There's a lot more. A lot of people are really into exploring lighthouses. I mean, okay. there's a number of lighthouses on Outer Banks in itself has a lot of legend. One of the towns in Outer Banks is called Nags Head. And legend has it the way Nags Head was named is the other thing the Outer Banks has is what they still claim to fame is the largest sand dune on the East Coast. Although with the winds and things shifting, the sand dune has shifted. It's not as impressive as it used to be, but it's still a really big sand dune. That's called Jockey's Ridge. But the way Nags Head, the legend has it, got its name is that pirates used to walk mules or old nags up and down the tops of these sand dunes with lanterns around their neck. And the ships at sea would think Uh. it was the safety of a harbor. They would crash into the sand dunes and the sandbars of the Outer Banks, and obviously the ships would then be looted. As you poke around, you can really find out, and especially when you're staying in the Outer Banks, it's not hard to find a native of the Outer Banks. Our site represents bed and breakfast, and most of these people have been there, have grown up there. They know the history, and they share that with their guests. But even in the local restaurants, when you find a native, you find someone who's been there for a long time, if you're interested, they'll share some very interesting stories with you because it's a very special place. In terms of getting around, I'm picturing that it would be good to have a car or a rental car if I want to get much distance here past the biking distance. Definitely. You okay. would definitely want to have a car in the Outer Banks. It depends the type of vacation you want to have. Sure, it kind of goes back true. to the beginning of our conversation. If you are just staying either in a B&B, in a hotel, or renting a cottage, you're probably going to need a car to get there. You would need a car to get out to the store. But if you plan on just spending your time at the beach, there's many little towns along the way. There's a little town of Duck where you can walk into. There's places to eat. You wouldn't have to drive a lot, but I would certainly want to have a car if I were there. Going further north, up into Kerala, which is the very most northern part of the Outer Banks, then you might even want to have or rent or take one of the tours to do some of the off-roading, the four-wheel drives. In terms of things to see or things to do, are there recommendations that I would find? You talked about talking to, say, some of the locals there. What kind of things would they recommend that a lot of tourists miss? A lot of people have heard of the Outer Banks and head down because they're going to be doing fishing or or something that they've heard the Outer Banks is known for. They might not know that North Carolina, and especially the Outer Banks, has wonderful barbecue. And Mm. North Carolina barbecue is different than what at least I would think of as barbecue, which is thick kind of red sauce. 
North Carolina barbecue is much lighter. It's usually like a pulled pork, but it's very light. It's almost like, I mean, I don't have the recipe, but it's almost like a vinegar, but I don't want to say vinegar because I don't want to put someone off. It's just delicious. It's just not that heavy, thick, barbecue sauce that you would think of. Okay. So they would probably point you in the direction of making sure you try that out. And do you have a favorite barbecue joint in the Outer Banks? Yeah, there's a number. I mean, it depends where you're staying. You know, the Outer Banks, you have to remember, um, stands okay. very large. <laughs> it's probably 100 miles. If you're staying in the Duck area, which is a very popular area, which is kind of a funny name, actually, <laughs> if you think about it for a town. The Duck Deli has wonderful barbecue. In Kill Devil Hills, Mesquite Grill has great barbecue. I think that even if you just stop, again, you know, finding yourself a local and just asking, because I think... I don't know that that always makes the guidebooks necessarily. Okay. The other thing is seafood is absolutely fabulous there. On the causeway, which is between the northern Outer Banks and when you're going towards Nantio, there's some great restaurants there. The Lone Cedar is probably the best in terms of seafood restaurants there. Very popular. And we talked about how long it is and that there are many different places to stay. Do you have a recommendation or a favorite place where you've had a great vacation? I mean, I'm coming from a website that runs uh, Bed and Breakfast. I know. You don't um, want to so, p- pick a so favorite I, here, I'm probably. a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a couple of my favorite Bed and Breakfast, and then I'll also give you some other recommendations. Okay. In Manteo, which is going south, the, the, the White Doe Inn is just a beautiful inn. The Island of Wanchis is also in the southern part. The Island House of Wanchis is great. If you wanted to stay on the Sound, I was talking a little bit about that. The Cypress Moon and Kitty Hawk is great. Probably very well-known, getting away from the bed and breakfast arena, is the Sanderling Inn. And Sanderling is north of Duck before you get to Corolla, so that's in the northern part. And that's actually in an old life-saving station. So oh, interesting. Okay. history there, but they've made it pretty much an upscale type of lodging accommodations. There's a spa there and things that you can do. A lot of reasons also that people head to the Outer Banks are family reunions. So the Outer Banks has a lot of big old houses and big old cottages. If you want something really upscale, you would go north and you would go into Kerala. And some of these houses are mansions like I have never been able to imagine. Or if you go down into Nags Head, the big old salt boxy type houses, but they still house and can house a lot of families. And as families get together, time is just, it's just such a precious commodity. So the Mm -hmm. Outer Banks have actually become a place where a lot of family reunions happen because of the fact it's not that difficult to get to. You can drive to it from a lot of the East Coast. You can get there by flying to Norfolk and renting Mm -hmm. a car. And it's different, even if you have family members coming from Ohio or coming from the Midwest, getting to the ocean where you have both the ocean and the sound is a really great place to meet up. And then if you have half of your family that wants to be adventurous and outdoors, they can do that. And then if you have some people who want to be real history buffs, they can be down in Roanoke and exploring the Elizabethan Gardens, getting into that. You can have people just sitting on the beach. You can have people fishing. And you really can accommodate everything, and especially these big houses. It's much nicer than staying in a hotel. Okay. When I first come to the Outer Banks the first time, what's going to surprise me? 
what's going to surprise you? Well, I think the fact that it does look a bit laid back, it's very picturesque. You can drive, especially when you drive the beach road, you can just always see the ocean. The dunes there have what they call sea oats growing on them. And the sea oats, they serve a very important purpose, is they help a lot with the erosion because Mm -hmm. the Outer Banks are known for storms. There's a lot of wind, especially when you have a thin strip of land like that, and you are right on the ocean. You do get a lot of the wind currents and things. So the sea oats serve a purpose, but they are just beautiful in their simplicity is what hits you. And then at first you think, what am I going to do? And as soon (laughs) as you let down your busy life schedule, no matter who you are, we all have it nowadays, and just start to take a deep breath because you can't go far enough from the ocean that you don't get the feel of being at the ocean when you're at the Outer Banks, and you start to relax, then you can kind of start to get into it, and that's when you really can start to figure out and feel what you're going to do. Well, and you're coming from Manhattan, so that's quite a deceleration there, it sounds like. It is a deceleration, but I grew up in Maryland, and we actually vacationed in the Outer Banks since we were kids. I will admit, when we first started going there, I didn't like the fact that there wasn't a boardwalk as a teenager. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But as you grow to appreciate it, and as families grow, and now my kids who have not really been to a place with a boardwalk, they don't know that they're missing it, that they can't wait to get to the Outer Banks because they're going to get to do and run and have the freedom and do the fishing, crabbing, clamming, bike riding, just everything that goes on. But some of their cousins are from rural parts of upstate New York and Massachusetts and Virginia. And all of these kids, it's the great equalizer. They're all different ages. They've been going since they were babies. So our youngest now is six, up to my son is in college. It's the great equalizer. No matter where they're from and no matter what their age is, there's something for them to do and they're very happy. And as parents, we're very happy because of the fact that we can either sit and relax or we can take them out and do something we think would be educational. (laughs) Any warning you would give about somebody who's planning a trip there? Warning? Gosh, I really don't know what I would warn you to do because of the fact that as beautiful and as tranquil as it is, everything is there. There's farmer's markets, but there's major grocery stores, so... There's nothing that you can forget because the Outer Banks sometimes are the target of some storms and hurricanes. Nowadays, with the advanced warning and the weather forecast, as the community and the Chamber of Commerce and just the state has gotten together, there's very good information about that. So I wouldn't be worried about if I have to evacuate, will I be able to evacuate? That's all very well coordinated. Mm -hmm. I would chalk that off my list. You do want to be aware of swimming in an ocean that may or may not have a lifeguard because many of them don't. So you do want to use common sense, but I would hope that that would be a warning you would take with you anywhere that you go, which is beautiful. I mean, but it is possible you want to check to see what the undertow is, but that would make sense anywhere. You shouldn't need someone to tell you whether you can go swimming or not. I guess I'm a little biased. It would be hard to think. You can't, everything's there. You can't forget it. They're prepared for everything. And the weather, for the most part, is just beautiful. Obviously, high season is the summer. Sure. But the beach in the winter, even, is just beautiful. And spring and fall is gorgeous. So I'm not a good one to give you a warning, I don't That's think, on this one. <laughs> quite all right. Can you describe the best day you've had in the Outer Banks? The best day that I've had on the Outer Banks 
Probably not, because <laughs> I have had so many good days on the Outer Banks. I would have to think a lot of that, because the best days on the Outer Banks, we've seen you go on the beach and finding the shells that you don't often see because the other beaches are so crowded is a lot of fun. The little sanderling birds and the wildlife that is there is so neat. On the other hand, I've been there through hurricanes when we didn't evacuate, and that I'm not recommending that people stay. We stayed at a time that it wasn't required to evacuate, but that was probably one of the most spectacular, beautiful things to see was the ocean during the eye of the hurricane when it was safe to go outside. I mean, it just looked like a bowl of shaving cream. It was just beautiful. So the best days are a combination of all that happens within nature. I definitely eat too much when I'm there (laughs) (laughs) so because the food is good. I love going to Jockey's Ridge, which is that large sand dune that I talked to you about Mm -hmm. at night and just watching the sunset and watching kids running up and down. It can actually even go hang gliding there. There's a flight school across the street. I haven't done that because that wouldn't be on my list of the best things to do in a day, but it might be on someone else's. So the best days brings in the nature and just brings in the beauty and the simplicity, but not to underestimate how much there is to do there. Okay. And you talked about talking to the locals, the most memorable person you've met there. I mean, I guess it would probably be an innkeeper because those I are people be that I have sure. spoken to <laughs> the most. The innkeeper at the Island House of Wanchis has been there a really long time. And really, I can't do justice to talk about the history of the island. That would probably be the most interesting person that I have talked to. And I probably can only skim and remember some of what we've talked about in really in-depth and involved conversations wonderful conversations with the host or hostess at the Sanderling Inn. So when you go for lunch or the Blue Point is another place that you can eat lunch. I like lunch especially out. It's a little bit relaxed and things like that. On the Sound, the Blue Point is in Duck. One of the guys there, he's just so interesting and can tell you a lot of what goes on. So be hard-pressed to say the most interesting, but it would probably be an innkeeper. (laughs) Okay. And as we're planning our trip to the Outer Banks, we're going to recommend the B&B Finder, and we'll put a link to that in show notes. What other online resources would you use to plan a trip? The Outer Banks has a very organized chamber of commerce, and I think it's going to depend the purpose of your trip. If you want a romantic getaway, then obviously a B&B would be a good choice. If you're looking, however, for a family reunion, then you're going to want to look through the Chamber of Commerce, and they can probably point you in the right direction because you're going to want to think about whether you want one of the really upscale properties in Kerala or whether you're going to want something simpler, more traditional outer banks down in Nags Head. Um, So I would probably go to the Chamber of Commerce next. Okay. And Mary, as we wrap this up, what three words would you use to summarize the Outer Banks? Beautiful, special. One more, huh? That's the tough one. It it is just unbelievable. There's no place like it. Okay. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your love for this special location. Well, thank you. It is pretty hard for me to hide my love for this location because it is beautiful, and I hope the listeners do at some point get a chance to try it out. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care.
I have one internet resource for you today, and that is blogabond.com. And blogabond.com is for you people who are traveling and blogging about it. And what they will do is they will give you a nice map that you can choose the route you're doing on your trip, and you can put that on your blog. You do, can also start a blog on blogabond.com, but if you have a blog elsewhere, as I do, you could use a blog from here. So check that out if you are a travel blogger. In news from the community asks for some feedback about the show about Siberia, whether it was too negative or whether the sound quality was bad enough. I got some encouraging letters. Ed wrote, you asked for our feedback regarding the Siberian Trekking podcast, stating concerns about audio quality and the receptivity of your audience to negative experiences. I found the audio quality to be acceptable in my criterion. I could easily understand everything while driving at highway speeds in my 2000 Honda. Many podcasts can't meet this criterion, and when they fail... I can't listen. The Siberia podcast was fine, though. Regarding negative experiences, I think, yes, of course, negative experiences are a real part of travel, and I am truly interested in travel. I would much rather hear about the hardship than experience it firsthand. And as you and your guests said, the negative experiences often make wonderful stories. So I think that a good show would not have so much to do with the pleasantness of the guest experiences as the pleasantness of their travel narrative. And Kayleen had a similar response as listeners since show number one, which is impressive. My husband and I wanted you to know that the episode on Siberia was one of the best yet. Sheila's account was so realistic, not a rant about how bad the trip was, but a rational, honest, and matter-of-fact account. It was really informative and refreshing. Too many people only focus on the positives, and when considering trips, we need to know the good and the bad. Otherwise, listeners will have a rose-tinted view on travel. My motto is, travel is about learning, and this episode was a great example of that. I especially liked the part where Sheila spoke about what questions she'd ask next time around. Also, the sound quality wasn't too bad. I listened to the show whilst walking to work, and it was clear through traffic and construction noise. Keep up the good work. So, thank you both for that feedback. That's about the way the feedback went on this particular episode. So I appreciate the encouragement that I made the right decision by putting that show out. With that, we'll bring to the end this episode of The Amateur Traveler. Stay tuned next week when we bring another one. If you have comments on this show, feel free to leave them at AmateurTraveler.com or send me an email at host at AmateurTraveler.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. One more cathedral I got to sit in one